Thank you, Lord. I just want to pray for Paul, Lord, uh, as he comes and as he shares this morning, Lord. I pray that um, you would bless him as he, um, as he just shares what he's prepared, Lord, shares his reflections on um, what you've given him. Lord, I pray you bless him. Amen. Thank you. Morning, everyone. Um, so for those who are unfamiliar with what we're currently doing, um, uh, two weeks ago we had uh, Alistair Cuttridge um, come and speak to us on a weekend, and um, he spoke on what he called the six acts of um, the Bible, Scripture, and the idea was that the whole Bible can be put into six acts, and um, what we're currently going through is what those six acts are in reflections. And last week, we had um, Richard speak on Act 1, which was creation, and um, fantastic job he did. Um, I'm going to be speaking on Acts 2 and 3, um, which it says on the board, should be on the board, uh, The Fallen Call. And um, that's a title that Graham came up, and I thought, wow, that's good. So all credit to Graham for that amazing title. Um, so the idea is that one of the things that I was intrigued by what Alistair said was that you read Scripture on a number of different levels. There's the, um, the first level is the idea that there's a big story, uh, what he called the meta-narrative, the big story of what goes on throughout Scripture. I think that's important to know that there's a big story that takes place. Because sometimes you can look at a small thing and you could sort of not get the big picture of what's going on. And it's a little bit like our own lives. We look at something that's happened in our own lives and we think, oh, it's, we're, we're in an isolated situation. But actually, there's a much, much bigger picture that's going on. One of the books that I read many, many years ago by John Eldridge was about the fact that our whole journey is part of this big, huge story. It's one of the reasons why things like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings are so popular, because it's a story, and stories grab people. It's a bigger picture. The superhero comes along, basically gets involved, saves the day, or the average person. There's loads of pictures and movie stories out there that just the average Joe somehow basically finds himself in the middle of an amazing story, stands up, takes place, saves the day. But God's story is something that's actually quite unique because it takes not just when the world began, as Richard said last week, and it's not just in the present, but it's also ongoing. And in about, I don't know, about four weeks' time, I believe Sim's going to talk about the last thing that's going to happen, what's, uh, what Alistair called Act 6. So I'm just going to deal with the first, cut, first bit of it, which is the whole idea of... What happened after creation? So, we've got, in Genesis 3, is what I'm going to probably call the fall. And I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of what this happened and what this did this and did that, because I think, basically, we all know that pretty much. What I do want to talk about is that this is the first time that we get someone who questions... God, and who he's like, and what he says. And in the middle of that, we've got two humans who are in that position of 
Do I listen to this person or do I listen to God? Now, it's, it's one of the things that struck me quite amazingly was whenever you look through and you read the Old Testament, there's an element of God's holiness. And uh, I've been reading the whole thing, about, watching the whole thing about the Bible Project, which is absolutely amazing. And one of the things, they've got a video on there, and the holiness of God. And they've likened it to the sun. And the sun gives off life, it gives off power, but when you get close to it, it will burn you. And in the Old Testament, you read a lot about the presence of God was in certain places. And unless you were in an element of being pure, it would burn you, it would die. You would die as a result of getting close. But you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve literally were in the presence of God and didn't die. To me, that's quite amazing because it's one of those things that most of us would love to get back to that place, that place of Eden. Getting to that place where we can be in the presence of God. But unfortunately, the story doesn't go like that. And we end up having a situation where they don't believe the words that God's spoken. And what they do believe is the enticement, the lies of the enemy. And this is the first time where a group of people believe something that's contrary to God. And uh, Alistair made this great phrase. He said, independence, oh, sorry, interdependence, God, interdependence, sorry, independence starts. What he means by that was that in that garden, there was this relationship that was taking place between Adam and Eve and God in that presence. But at that moment, when they believed the lies of the enemy, what took place was a separation from God and independence. The idea that actually we're not going to believe what God says, we're going to believe what we have own belief. And that takes a huge spiral downwards, and I'm not going to get into the whole stories of all the different things, but you've got the things of... We were talking last week with the movie night where we looked at the whole thing about there was so much corruption and evil on the earth that basically God brought Noah and said, okay, we're going to build an ark, we're going to start over again. And you think, great, we've, got, we've started over again. But it, you read not merely the end of the chapter and we're back to basically large amounts of corruption. So the elements of the fall bring in sin, bring in death, bring in evil, bring in everything. And to some sense, we're living in the reflections of that sense of evil, the fall even now. It's one of the things that I remember years and years ago. We we have that thing of sort of like those, uh, when we were in Australia, we had this, uh, someone massacred a whole bunch of people. And people were questioning, well, why is this happening? And why is this happening? And all that sort of stuff. And I, it came to the point, it's like, actually, it's probably part of the elements of the fall that we live in. Because that's not what God intended. And that's not what was the original design for what God had called the people of God to be. The original design was that we were to work in a partnership with God. But Adam and Eve made the decision, no, we don't want to work in a partnership. We want to do our own thing. And ever since then, people have been making that choice. We want to do our own thing. 
And then I think at some point, God says, okay, well, let's look at trying to establish, starting with the group of people, and we, oops, we get to Abraham. And I can't remember who the person was, but we had someone talk uh, on Abraham. But what I want to draw out from Abraham is this. Basically, what God wanted to say was, I'm going to pick Abraham, his family, and I'm going to call him out. And from that, I'm going to list descendants that are going to be numerous than the stars. I'm going to, my promise to Abraham's and these descendants is that there are going to be conditions where you'll be fruitful. You'll have a land where there'll be lots and lots of stuff that you can be able to enjoy. There'll be things that you can be partake of. So, in some ways, the modern word would be partnership, but the, the word that the Bible uses is covenant. This idea that Abraham has a covenant, Abraham and his descendants has a covenant with God. There's conditions that God has, there's conditions that Abraham and his descendants have. So I think what, what's happening here is that humans have fallen, but God's trying to call them back. And the idea that I sense is, is that what God's wanting to say is that if I can work on a group of people, if I can work on a family and start with a family, and if I can show my goodness onto this family, they can start being a reflection of who I am to everyone else. It's one of the things that I often struggled with is because there's something you need to understand is there are certain things that are in the Old Testament that don't necessarily apply to the New Testament because Jesus did a lot of changes. There are some things that are still the same. God hasn't changed. But there are some things that have slightly changed, and I'll explain a little bit more about that. But the thing that I sense is, is that God starts right from here and says to Abraham, and his descendants, if you can follow me, then there will be a people on this earth that will be a reflection of who I am. Now, doesn't that sound very much like what we're all called to do? We're all called to be reflections of Christ in the world. We are. And Abraham is set, uh, set up, if you follow me at this moment, you can be a blessing to all the countries around, all the rest of the people. So he selects a group of people, picks it out, and says, if you remain faithful to me, I will be more than faithful to you. And I will bless you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. You won't have to worry. But one of the things is that we know that basically this didn't happen. There were numerous upon numerous collapses, and eventually we get down to uh, the whole idea of Exodus, where Moses takes the large population out of Egypt, and we come to the place in Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is the second time God makes a covenant with a group of people, this partnership, and says, it's not just the Ten Commandments, but it's this sense, well, if you follow me, I will be your God. I will be able to establish you like no other on the face of the earth. 
Again, what God's saying to this group of people is he's calling them apart. One of the things is that um, this, this word holy is often used along a lot of the time. And, and, and I've heard quite a lot of people speak about what this word holy means. In essence, holy means to be set apart. And what God's saying to this people, if you set yourselves apart like I'm set apart, you will be a blessing to everyone else and a sign and a symbol of who I am. There are conditions attached as always, but there's a sense of you too can be a part. Now, um, Exodus 17, 4, 6. I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you out to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. One of the things I find so extraordinary is, and I can't remember if I was sharing this with Graham or something, but to me, one of the things is that you, you read the stuff of what happened with the Israelites. You read the tremendous overwhelming thing that happens at Mount Sinai with the presence of God coming down with this mountain. The fact that, as the picture says there, the presence of God comes down in a way that you can see with your own eyes. How many times have we wanted to say, oh, if only I could see God's presence. If only I could see. If only I could see, then I believe. These guys were actually seen with their own eyes. Not only that, but God provided for them. The essence being that basically gave them manner. They got up every morning. God provided for them. They had food. Then there came a point in time where a number of them started getting ill. So God spoke to Moses and says, build a statue. And in that, as people looked to this bronze statue, they will be healed. It's a symbolic act of what Jesus was going to be doing. Look to Jesus. Healing takes place. And yet, in the midst of all of that amazing stuff, they still do not trust God. How do we know? Well, we get to the the, the promised land, sends in 12 spies, 10 come back and says, even though God has said this is ours, they're too big. Once again, like the four, listening not to what God's saying, but listening to the deception and the lies of the enemy. It's an ongoing problem that goes on and on. Listening, listening to the wrong source. God says to um, the Israelites in Deuteronomy 11, the whole idea of the blessing and the curse. Now, I want to just, just step to one side just to clarify that this is an Old Testament, Old Covenant thing. We're not necessarily under this curse anymore, but I do want to set the scene for what happens for the rest of the time because the idea is that the covenant was established was a covenant that if you partake, and part, what they had to do wasn't that much. They just had to trust in God. But the result of not was things that were not going to go well for them. This sets the tone that basically what happens for the rest of Scripture. Sorry, the rest of the Old Testament, sorry. The fact is, if they obey God, live under his protection, then 
amazing things will survive. But if he didn't, there comes not so nice things. So, those are the two covenants that set. The covenant Abraham, the descendants, the promise. It's one of the things I liked about uh, the movie night last week was when we were watching the Bible project, they had very visual ideas of the promise in a little sort of gold coin that was over Abraham's little head and then over Isaac and then Jacob. And, and the promise from God was that the descendants would be as numerous as stars. The essence of actually God's been more than enough in terms of being faithful to this group of people. But the element of the fall brings an element of disunity, corruption, greed, worship of idols, and so forth. Now, as I was going through this, I was thinking, okay, well, how can I link all this together? And a number of people mentioned this guy, so I thought, okay, I'll have a look. And so I want to spend the rest of the time talking about this guy. Let me just set the scene just to give you an idea about who this guy is. The speed version is, Israelites enter the promised land, have a number of judges, they fail, they want a king, they get Saul, he fails, David gets involved, David dies, and then not long after that, Israel splits into two kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah. All of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, are all bad. At some point along this line, Assyria, a kingdom comes along and basically, because of their wicked ways, takes over. The southern kingdom, Judah, has a number of good kings, some bad kings. And so we get to this guy, Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, right from the word go, is a good king. It says in 2 Kings 18:47, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the high places. Now, one of the things that... Um, God said to Joshua and the Israelites when you go in, remove the high places. And what are these high places? Well, the elements back then was a, it was a time that the high places were the points that worship of idols and false gods was taking place, usually on mountains of some point. But they were strategic points in the land where worship of other gods took place. And God made it very, very clear that those places had to be destroyed. Again, getting back to the idea of blessing and curse. Now, up until Hezekiah, no one had actually destroyed those high places. Hezekiah comes in and he starts destroying those high places. Let me just make a, another ten, a, a sidestep as well. Ayaz, uh, um, his dad evil king. Lots and lots of bad things. Child sacrifices, you name it, the works. Really, really bad. It's unclear how you get someone who's so bad produces a king that's so full on for God. But what to me that says is sometimes, and I've come across people who have come from really, really messed up backgrounds, but they make a choice. Everyone has a choice. Do I follow after God or do I follow after the enemy? And I've seen many people, and you can probably come up with your own stories of you've heard testimonies, and this person did this and this, but then God came and saved me. We all can 
make a choice, regardless of what our heritage is. My heritage going back was not that great at all, but I made a choice, and that choice was to go after God. So it says, There was no one like him among the kings of Judah. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him and kept the commands God had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. So the idea is that uh, Hezekiah is basically establishing what the kingdom of God should be like. And he's got his heart set on God. And the idea is that in this moment in time, news comes down from the northern kingdom that the Assyrians are on their way. And the Assyrians have had this massive, huge army. They've taken all of Israel, the northern kingdom, and news starts to come through that they've started taking the cities in the northern parts of Judah. Now, this is where we come to the crux of Hezekiah's story. Because what we've now got is, we've got a king who is going after God. We've got a king who is establishing in the land that we're going to follow after God. Sometimes, actually, the way things work is the leader of a church organization sets the tone for everyone else. How many times have we worked in a business where actually the tone and the the environment's great because the leader sets the tone? Likewise, how many times we've been in a business in a church or a setting where it just feels anxious, uneasy? Why? Because the leader sets the tone. I'm sure the fact with Hezekiah, he set the tone for the rest of the people of Israel. Getting back to what that Deuteronomy was, the blessing and the curse, the idea was that if you stay fast to me, there will be blessing upon blessing. Hezekiah now has a decision to make because in that blessing, and he's been following God, he hears stories of cities in his own land been taken by the Assyrians. So he has a choice. In his mind, paraphrasing, I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, hang on a minute, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm establishing, going after God. I'm going after God, and yet these cities in my land are being taken by the enemy. What's going on? So, oops, sorry. we get to this point, and, and to me, when I read this, it harks back to what happened at the fall in the garden. In the garden, the enemy basically says to Adam and Eve, do you really think God said this? Do you really think God's good? Do you really think God can heal you? Do you really think God cares about you? Do you really think? And unfortunately, they succumbed. And now we've got a classic example. The whole of Jerusalem is surrounded by 185,000 soldiers. Now, just get that into your mind. The only thing I could possibly think of is that there's a a scene in Return of the Kings. There's a scene in uh, one of the Star Wars where you look out and there's like hundreds of thousands. 
just imagine you're standing on the wall and you're going, yeah, we believe in God, but we've got 185,000 soldiers surrounding us. They've already taken many of the cities in our own land. The element of doubt can easily be swayed. And then we get the leader of the Syrians start questioning, calling out loud, do you really believe God's going to save you? Do you really believe if God was true, then he would have stopped us invading the cities of the north? But we took them, so God must be on our side. You're the losers. And it goes on and on. And I can bet your bottom dollar that at some point, some of the people are starting to think, well, their argument sounds pretty good. Their argument sounds really good. Yeah, that's right, actually. If they did that and they did that, then the de- yeah, maybe Hezekiah is wrong. Maybe actually we're, we're not actually blessed by God. How many times have we gone into a situation where logic confronts the truth of God? And we've got a situation where we've got facts, logic, reason, argument, God's truth, boom, clash. And on the one hand, it's, oh, that, that argument sounds, yeah, that sounds really good. But actually, what's the truth of God say? And that's the clash that happened in the fall. It's happened throughout all of time. And it still happens to this day. We've all got a free choice. We've all got a choice to make. Do we trust in what God says or do we trust in the enemy? As you can read throughout Scripture all the things. You've got Noah and the, and the ark. You've got David and all these stories. Even, so, I suppose, the whole thing with, uh, if you think about uh, in the New Testament with, with um, Paul blinded, and God appears to this guy and says, go over to that. You know that guy who's killing loads of Christians? I want you to go over there and pray for him. It's like, oh. <laughs> but who do you believe? Do you believe what God's saying? Or do you believe what the enemy's saying? And sometimes the enemy can bring logic. When we look at um, what Jesus, uh, the three temptations in the desert, it's interesting that the enemy used Scripture in trying to tempt God. To me, that's like, hang on a minute. The enemy can't use Scripture. That's That's our tool. We use Scripture. But no, how many times has the enemy used what was intended for good to deceive? I think back at um, the whole thing of slavery that happened in the past, especially in America. How many times in the past slave masters used scripture so that they would substitute and put people below them? Well, this is what God wants. You're my slave, and you need to do what I say, and I'm going to beat you because you're mine. That's the, en- that's the enemy right there, using what we think would be the idea of truth. Who do we trust? Now, 
At this time, you've probably all heard of the prophet Isaiah, a huge book in the Bible, um, 61, 63 chapters or something. Yep, something along those lines. Quite a large number of chapters. And he spans not just one, but quite a number of kings. So it's not just Hezekiah, but over a number of kings. And, Hezek- and, and Isaiah is the prophet at this time. And one of the things that I want to, I was reading this, and I, I was quite intrigued about this, was that when Hezekiah hears these taunts from the enemy, do you really believe God's with you? He goes to the house of God, and he prays. Now, it's important to understand what happens next. We are all in the new covenant, and I don't want to spend too much talking about that because uh, someone will take over and do Acts 4, which is that whole new covenant. So I don't want to spoil that. But in the new covenant, we can all hear from God. All of us can hear from God. In the Old Testament, the prophets were the people who would listen to God and speak out to the people. Not everyone could hear from God. There are times where God would come and would speak, and the Spirit of the Lord would appear on someone, and they would hear, but in those times, no. The prophets were the mouth voices for what God was saying. And so, in, in a strange way, Hezekiah goes to the house of the Lord and beseeches and prays to God, but he also sends for Isaiah to come and listen. What does God say? And Isaiah comes back and he says, firstly, don't trust or be afraid of those words. The thing is, about God is, if you look at, read Psalm, I think it's Psalm 1, Psalm 1 or Psalm 2, one of those, he laughs at the plans of the enemy. He laughs at the plans of men. We sometimes get overwhelmed and we go, but God's there, just going like, it's almost like it's an ant. Is this ant trying to basically stand up to me? Boom, squashed. To him, it's no contest at all. But sometimes when we're in the midst of that battle between God's truth and the lies, the seemingly good arguments, we're persuaded, well, which way do I go? We can get overcome with the worry, the fear, the, tr- the, the trembling of what could happen. But God says through I, um, Isaiah, don't fear, they're just words. They've got no power over it whatsoever. The second thing was is that through Isaiah, he says to Hezekiah that this is going to, we're going to, I'm going to bring a distraction. This is where God starts to say to Hezekiah, you have been faithful in serving me. Now it's my turn to save. It's now my turn to bless. It's now my turn to defend. It's one of those things that in the New Testament, we overcome not because of our own strength, but because of what Jesus has done. We stand in a place of victory, not because we're good, because of what Jesus did. So we are victorious, sons and daughters of the High King. 
And all we've had to do is just believe in him. That's all we've had to do. But it's, it, I want to get across the idea that that consistent belief is something we need to keep maintaining. It's not something you just go, oh, I've said the prayer once, that's it. I'm now done. I can do whatever I want. It's a daily thing. You get up. I'm going to trust you, God, today. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust you. Something happens. I'm going to learn to trust you. Show me what you want me to do today, God, because I want to trust you. Yeah, the lies of the enemy come from all different things, but I'm going to trust you. One of the things I've... I've, um, made something, I suppose this whole thing of Lent gets you questioning sort of what do you want to sort of separate from, is I've made a decision not to listen to any of the news. Partly because it was so disheartening to hear all the stuff that goes on with Brexit and everything else and the knife crimes. And I got to the point, I said, this is actually draining me of my life listening to all this does turmoil go on? And I made a decision, actually. I'm just going to separate. For the month of Lent, I'm not going to read any news. And I've loved it. I've loved it. I don't know what's going on in the news, but my focus is a lot better because I'm not being weighed down, turning on the TV, turning on the radio. And once again, we've got this going on and this going on. It's all about, for me, listening. And I'm not saying, and I, please hear me out, I don't want you to go, oh, okay, Paul's saying we shouldn't listen to the news. That's the choice I felt God speak to me. You're open to your own. I know some people work in the media. Some people work in the news. Some people, we have Christians in the government. But for me, because of what it was affecting in me, I made that choice. The idea is that we're all got to make choices. For someone here, it might be completely different thing whatsoever. What influences are draining you of your life? We're called to have life and abundant life, John 10.10. 10. That's what Jesus came to give us. If there is something in your life that's draining life and you're not living an abundant life, go to God. Is this something that I need to separate myself from? Or is it something that I need some help from the Holy Spirit for? Holy Spirit, do you need to come? Do you need to come and help me in this situation? Because we're not doing it on our own. We've got the Holy Spirit with us. So let's get back to Hezekiah. So after all of that... What do the Assyrians say again? The Assyrians say once again, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Wow, what a statement to say. You've just heard from God through the prophet Isaiah. God saying, actually, this is going to be okay. And what did the enemy come out? Don't let God deceive you. He's wrong. And the whole thing is, is that Hezekiah gets this threatening letter and he goes once again back to prayer. And he reads it out. And I'm going to read it out. It's not on the, uh, I think it's not on the board. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers. This is verse 14 in uh, chapter 19. 
Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Let's stop there. What is he doing? He's declaring who God really is. A lot of our worship songs are declaring who God is. Great is your faithfulness. We're declaring, God, that you are faithful. It might not appear in our lives that you're 100%, but I'm going to make this stand now. I'm going to stand in the face of the enemy and say, you are faithful. Now, there's other declarations we can make. We can stand in that place, you are a God that's good. Yes, this thing might have happened. It might appear that you're not good, but I'm going to make that stand that you are good. Or you make another stand, God, you are the God that heals. In the face of things that might contrary, I'm going to stand, you are the God that heals. We make that declaration in the face of the enemy. That's spiritual warfare, folks. You stand in the face of the enemy with this mega huge God next to you, and you say, no, I'm with this guy. And then verse 16, give ear, Lord, and hear, open your eyes, Lord, and see, listen. And then he talks about, they have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. Verse 19, now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord, our God. Verse 19, and our Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand. What he's saying here is, is that the original covenant, the blessing and the curse, was that if you obey my commandments, I will bless you, I will keep you, I will protect you. And Hezekiah is reminding God about this. And then what we find is that Isaiah gets back and there's this big long um, section in uh, the end of Isaiah 19, which Isaiah gives sort of like a big long prophecy about the fact that God will come and save. And then we have this amazing thing, verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next day morning, there were, there were only all the dead bodies. That's God stepping in and doing something miraculous. 185,000 people, all taunting saying, do you really think God's going to save you? And we've got a king who goes to God and says, God, you are the faithful God. I believe you. I trust you. We've got a, a person who hears from God. We're, we had the series a couple of weeks ago about hearing the prophetic words. We can all hear from God. We can all offer encouragement. So in some ways, we take place the part of Isaiah in the fact that we can hear from God, but we also take place of what the king does in the fact that we go to God and we declare who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. We, we take the part of both people, Hezekiah and Isaiah. And then you have this extraordinary thing. I was trying to think what it must have been like. Uh, that's probably part of me. I've seen far too many movies or whatever, just the scene of the angel of the Lord just going through and wiping out 185,000 people. must have been really, really quick all the way through to do that in a night time. But 
See, that's the thing. Imagine sort of waking up the next day. You've been under this pressure of bombardment of threats. Do you really believe God's going to say you for so long you start doubting? And then you've got a king and a prophet hearing from God that, yes, he will. And then you wake up the next morning, you think, oh, here's another day we're going to get bombarded again. And you look out and the whole, as far as the eye can see, you've got slaughtered enemy. How much do you then go, yay, God! Yay, victory is ours! Well, it's yours, God, but we're going to take part of that. That's, that, that's amazing. That is God saying, actually, I'm the one who's going to defend you. I'm the one who's going to protect you. So, if we could have the worship team up, please. We're all in a battle. We all have to make a choice. What do we listen to? What are the lies the enemy are speaking to us at the moment? We are all sons and daughters of the Most High King. We all live in a place of victory. We've got to make that stand and say, this is the place, and I stand with God and what God's going to say. So I want you to just stand up for a moment. And I know that, I don't know the stories of everyone, but I do know that some people are really facing tough times. And so I want you, in your own time, to think and just ask God, God, I, I, I want to stand with you. I want to stand and I want to believe you are the God. You are the God. I want to believe. I want to believe that you are the God that heals. I want to see healing take place in this church. I want to see healing take place. Some of you are facing financial difficulty. I want to see abundant life for everyone here. I want to see. People trusting in God because God is the way. So I'm going to hand over the worship team. Bless you guys.